Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Last week, if you weren't here last weekend, we started this new series on, uh, called Home Life. And, uh, and we talked last week, I'm, I'm really just, uh, we're going to get to home life. Before we get to home life, I'm realizing there's lots of foundation that has to be set. Because um, originally, when we, when we came at this series called Home Life, one of the, a few of the things that I, we want to tackle, that I want to tackle, that we'll be tackling in the cells, is so many Christians nowadays, just like in the culture, so it's not just Christians, but it's a whole culture, but it's also in our Christian culture, so many Christians feeling stressed out, feeling anxious, feeling overburdened, feeling like devotions and service to Jesus, and all these other things are just add-ons on already busy lives, and so many people feel like they're just trying to hang on. And so we wanted to do a series that talks about what is the, what is the picture the Bible gives us? How do we live our lives at home, whether you are single or married or whether you have kids or whether you're young or old? How do we live at home so that when we go out into the world at work and play and whatever, how do we live at home so that when we go into the world, we have the energy and the spiritual resources to be a light for Jesus? And, uh, but as I started getting ready for this series, I realized if we just go straight to the home life, it's not, it, you know, these things are just going to become more do's and don'ts. And we have to put home life within the greater context. Many Christians don't even know, what does God want me to be? What does, if I was living a pleasing life to God, like, I think a lot of us have totally a wrong picture of what it means to please God. And as a result of having a long picture, we carry a heavy burden and condemnation on us in our Christian walks because we're trying to be something that God's like, that's not even what you're supposed to be. And so last week I preached a message on the fact that God made you to be a human being, not a spiritual being. And that actually the goal in life that God has for you is not for you to spend all of your time reading your Bible and praying and doing devotion. Some Christians have this idea that in order to please God, I must always do more and more and more and more devotions and prayer and Bible reading, those sorts of things. Now, those are really, really important things. Well, and I'm going to start to talk about them a little bit today and their place in everything. But the point of last week's message was those things aren't the point. Like I have a van, as I shared last week. So just to remind you that picture and the point of my van isn't to be filled up with gas, right? I don't have a van so that I can fill it up with gas. I have a van so that I can move from point A to point B. Now, in order to move from point A to point B, I must fill up with gas. And in the same way, you weren't made just so you can spend all your life doing devotions. Devotions are something you need to fuel you up to do what you were really made to do, which is be a human being. And we looked theologically in Genesis and in the scriptures to see that as human beings, we were made to work and play, and rest, and have relationships. And that's why God made you. And when you do those things, you, assuming you do them in a God-honoring way, your work, where you're going to spend much more of your time in your life at work than in your devotions, and you can actually turn your going to work every day into an act of worship. You can play in such a way that it worships God. You can rest in such a way that it worships God. You can uh, be with family and friends and, and, and have relationships in a way that worships God. Now, I want to start this message today in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I, I want to just show you again some of this uh, stuff, but this time coming more from the New Testament 
And it says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 4, it says, For everything created by God is good. And in our Western mindset, we've kind of got it more from some Greek stuff, and I don't want to get into all the history of that, but there's a long history going back to Plato and Aristotle and how that still influences our modern Western thinking today. But a lot of Christians today have been steeped in this idea that there's the world, and the world is automatically worldly. So anything having to do with work or play or hobbies or rest, that's all worldly stuff. In order to be a Christian, you have to do less of that stuff and more of the spiritual stuff, which is reading your Bible, praying, uh, you know, doing ministry, that sort of thing. Again, all of these are really important things. I'm not saying get rid of them entirely. What I'm saying is that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says everything God created is good. There's no spiritual, not spiritual. Fun and laughter is good. Work is good. He made us to work. You are supposed to go to work. You please God when you go to work. Assuming that you, and we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later in this message. Just, I mean, there's a certain way you can work that is pleasing to God. There's a certain way you can work that is not pleasing to God. But everything created by God is good. Now he's going to strengthen this statement with a negative. He says this, and nothing is to be rejected. He's hitting at legalists here. He's saying, not only is everything God created good, Throughout church history and even in modern times, you'll get little sects of people, of Christians, who usually it's coming from a good place in their zeal to be more Christ-like, in their zeal to love God more. They want to separate themselves from things of this world. Now, if by separating themselves from things of this world, they mean sinful things like lustful you know, pornography or those sorts of sinful things, that's a great thing. As Christians, we should separate ourselves from sinful things. But if by separating ourselves from worldly things, we need separating ourselves from the everyday things of human life, like play and work and those sorts of things, that's legalism because the Bible says none of those things is to be rejected. It's part of who you were made. You were made to be a human being, not a spiritual being. Okay? Now, of course, so I said before, work, play, you know, rest, relationships, all of these things can be worshipped. There's an if in this passage. I want you to see the if now. Next line. If, okay, everything created by God is good. Work is good. Rest is good. Play is good. Relationships is good. None of that is to be rejected. If, there's an if, how do we behave in these things? It is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Now, I want you to notice three things there in, in the, those last couple of lines. Thanksgiving, the word of God in prayer. Now, uh, Paul links these things to worshiping God with the rest of your life, this everything that is good. Okay, now, here at Southam, we've talked about these three things for years. We would put them under a heading called devotions. There is something necessary about being thankful. There is something spiritually you need from the Word of God regularly to eat, okay? And there is something really important about connecting to God in prayer that makes it possible. You don't do those things for reward in heaven in and of themselves. It's not like you're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, boom, reward in heaven. You spent 3,465 hours and 558 minutes in prayer and Bible reading, and there's a reward for that. There's not a reward for how much time you spend in devotions, but you spend time in devotions because that gives you the spiritual food and connects you to God and reminds you of the vision that God has for your life and how he wants you to live so that you can go out into the world and live a life of worship the whole day, not just with a piece of your day. And that's why, again, I think sometimes a lot of Christians are under this impression 
that the answer to growing in Christ is always more, more, more with devotions. And the answer is you need to do enough devotion that you can be filled up for the day. So if you're doing too little, you need to do more. But the answer isn't always more. And I want you to think of it like this. Think of a race car. You know, a race car has to fill up with gas to finish the race. Yes. But at a certain point, once the race car is filled with gas, there's no point in staying in the pit any longer and taking on more fuel. Is that true? That's not going to help you go any faster, right? So now the race car is in the pit. Imagine you have a guy, he's, he's, in, the, he's in a pit, and the guys are like, okay, you're full. And he's like, keep going, guys. I want to just, I just want to, woo, I want to be the best racer out there. And you've got gas splashing all over the outside of the car and all over the side. And the guys in the pit, on the pit crew are like, just get out there and race already. In the same way, some of you might feel guilty because you're constantly comparing yourself to someone else. In someone you know or a missionary book you read, you saw some man of God or woman of God and they spent an hour and a half a day in prayer and devotions or they spent an hour a day and, or whatever it is. And for me, I love an hour a day with God. That's what I need. But for some of you, it might be a little different. Some of you might need a little bit more. Some of you might need a little bit less. And some of you are moms with three young kids, as I talked to someone last night, under the age of four, and you're not even going to get 30 minutes ever in a day. <laughs> so what, what the key is, it's not about comparing. There's nothing in the Bible that says how much, but you have to do enough. Now, some of you might be trying to get by on CHVN on the way to work, and that's your devotion time. And you get no word of God in you ever, and you get no worship, and you, you're not connecting with God consciously in any kind of a systematic way. Well, that's like the guy who just doesn't stop in the pit and get filled up with gas. You're not going to go very far spiritually. But others of you, God's saying, stop doing this because you feel guilty. Actually, for you, 30 minutes might be perfect just because of the way you're wired. Five minutes might be a little, like way too you know, little for a lot of people, but 30 minutes might be enough. Maybe an hour is better. I love an hour, but whatever it is with you, and God's saying, actually, now you need to get out the door. You need to get out the door, and now you need to take this stuff that you connected with me, and you were so thankful. You were, you were learning stuff in the Word. You need to get out there now and be a light for me out there because that's what you and I were made uh, to do. So... Now, I want to look now the rest of today, because again, I'm, I'm, we're bringing this all back to home life, and as we get into home life, I really want you to know this series is not about adding more stuff to your schedule. This is actually about, one of the big words as we get further into the series is going to be simplicity. You actually can't do everything you want to do and then add all kinds of spiritual stuff on top of it. But I first just want to see is, because again, if we have a vision for what home life is sending us out to do, it's going to make more sense why we want to live a restful, simplified home life. So what would it look like if we went out into our workplace and made a day of work an act of worship? What would that even look like? What's the goal? I mean, for many of us, the biggest chunk of our lives will be spent at work. So what would it mean to take that big chunk and turn it into an act of worship? How would you do that? Does that mean you go to work and under your breath you sing praise songs all day long? No. I mean, some of you, maybe that's a good thing. 
For many of you, it will take away from the worship of those around you, right? So um, that's not the point. The point is the way you turn a day of, of work into worship by talking about Jesus incessantly to everyone you see. And the answer is again, no. Bearing witness is part of worship. We'll touch on that just a little bit next week. Okay? But how do I, but again, what we're trying to do is bring spiritual things to work and make work spiritual when the fact of the matter is work already is spiritual, if you want to put it that way, or rather it is an act of worship just because it's what God made you to do. So today I just want to look at four things. And then next week we'll look at three more, but it's not complicated. You're thinking seven things I got to remember every day I go to work. No, no, you're going to see these are not things you need to think of every day in terms of, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. No, 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 no. They are very, very simple and innate. And they're supposed to become part of our character. They're very simple, and yet they're sometimes really hard to do. So four things. If, if you were going to go home, like imagine if we all got up tomorrow morning, those of us who are going to work tomorrow morning, I am not. Ha, Monday's my day off. <laughs> I'll think of you all while I sleep in. Um, but if you're going to get up tomorrow morning and go to work and turn into to an act of worship, here's four things, okay? Uh, and the first one is this. How do you turn your work into an act of worship? And the first thing is give your best effort, okay? I'm going to show you Scripture, Colossians chapter 3. Bond servants. You could also say that as slaves. Slaves in those days, it was a little bit different than how we think of slaves, but still not a good job to have at all. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. I want you to underline, you see that underline there? Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Now, the word whatever uh, encapsulates a lot of things. It, include, it encapsulates everything. Whatever you do, you could be mopping a floor at McDonald's, you could be a doctor, you could be filling tanks with gas, you could be, uh, you know, any, you could stay at home, mom, whatever it is, whatever you do, everything is, is under that. It doesn't have to be a prestigious job. It could be a low job. Remember, Paul is actually talking to slaves here, so it doesn't have to be an important job. Whatever you do, now look at the next thing, work heartily, okay? Work heartily. Heartily there just means this, pour yourself into it. Do your best, not half-heartedly. Now, he's not talking here about being crazy, like going to work and being f so frenetic that at the end of the day, you're just, you can't hardly walk. He's not talking about being crazy, but he's talking about pour yourself into it. Work heartily. Give your absolute best at whatever it is you're doing. You could be working in a mine. You could be a farmer. You could be a manager. Whatever it is, work heartily. Now, look at this. As for the Lord and not for men, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Two things are, first of all, I want you to notice that people who give their best effort at work, actually there's rewards stored up for them in heaven. Now think about that for a moment because many of us have never thought about that before. When we think about storing up reward in heaven, we think about spiritual things again. Isn't that true? Because we have this spiritual category. So we think at the end of a day of work, very few of us go home and think, wow, I just stored up reward in heaven. We think that after we do something at church or after we witness to someone about Jesus, which is an important thing, then there is reward in heaven for that, absolutely. But we just limit reward in heaven to only that. It says here, there's an inheritance. Did you know that this week, every day when you go home, if you've given your best effort, you can actually go home and think to yourself, 
there's a reward in heaven for what I just did today. That was actually a good thing that I did today. Look at this. He actually says, it's as if you could be mopping floors. And if you took that floor and, and, and treated it, and you're at work, you're in a restaurant or something, and you treated mopping that floor as if it was your own house, and you wanted to make it clean, and you wanted to do it quickly, and you wanted to make a great environment for customers coming in, if that's how you mop the floor, it says here actually that you were literally serving Jesus Christ. And you didn't think that. You thought the only time you could serve Jesus Christ was when you came to church and did something in the church. And that's great too. And that is important to serve in the body of Christ. But actually, when you are at work and you put your best into the most menial of tasks, Jesus actually takes it as you just did something for me. Because he made you human and he enjoys the talents and abilities he's given you and he made you to work. And when you give your best, that is an act of worship to God, okay? Now we're going to go to the next thing because some of you more naturally do this. By the way, you can see where a devotional life could play into this because for some of you, you know, some of us are blessed to have jobs that we naturally love. I love my job here. And some of you do jobs that you love. But in this broken world that we live in today, lots of human beings don't end up getting to do jobs that they love, or that maximize their talents and abilities. And sometimes I think as human beings, we have this expectation that unless I find that job, I can't give my best at work. But you know what? God actually just made you to work. And in this broken world, you won't always get to do jobs you love. And so this still applies to you. But you can see now where devotions might become important because Day to day, you're going to have a real hard time having a good attitude at work unless you're meeting with Jesus in the morning and saying, give me strength and being thankful, getting his perspective and asking him for specific steps. What's something I could do today to be a better worker at work or whatever it is? You can see it's not that I'm saying devotions aren't important, but remember, devotions aren't divorced from the rest of your life. They should empower you to live better at work. That's why you do them. But now again, some of you will be sitting there and on number one here, give your best. You just naturally do that. That's easy for you. You're going, oh, I love this message. This is my favorite message ever because I feel really good already. Because some of you, you were just raised in a family where work ethic was really important. So you just naturally have work ethic and you just work, 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 work. Wouldn't matter what it was. You just work hard. And so, and that's a really good trait to have. And some of you are really motivated by something, maybe a promotion or or, uh, you know, making a better wage or success or whatever it is. And because you're motivated, you go to work and you work really, really hard. And that's really a good trait. That's wonderful. But you do that, number one, naturally. So that's great. And you might think that's all there is to worship is just go to work and give my best. But obviously going to work and doing your best isn't the only thing there is to worshiping God at work because you could go to work and give your best. But if you're driven by greed, there's people who work really hard. You know, there's people who work really hard at work and they want to be successful and they make a lot of money or maybe they don't, but they just work hard anyway, but they do it in ways that are dishonest or they do it in ways that are greedy or that cause them to run over other people. In that case, they might be giving their best effort at work and they might be working really hard, but God doesn't receive their work as worship because there's a second thing that goes with effort and that is integrity. Integrity. It's not just giving your best effort. It's going to, to work and giving your best effort with integrity. Now, 
I want to define for you a little bit what integrity is because many of us think we know what that word means and I don't think we actually know what that word means. And I know there's many different definitions that people give for what integrity means. I'm not going to touch on all of those. I just, for the purposes of work, want to give my own definition. And uh, because integrity is a lot more than just not lying or just not explicitly cheating or doing something dishonest, okay? For example, and let me just pick uh, the, the, the salesperson as just an example, but I'm not picking on salespeople. This could be for any sector of work. And I love salespeople. I know sometimes people make negative comments about salespeople. I love salespeople. I seek them out when I need something because they help connect me to what I need, right? So it's a very valuable job, okay? Um, so let's say that you are a salesperson and you're selling someone something, you know, preferably, you know, maybe something expensive, like a house or a car or something like that. Okay. Now let's say you sell them something and you feel good about yourself at the end of it because you said only true things, but you also left out some true things that might've made the sale a little harder. Now you comfort yourself at night. I said a whole bunch of true things. I have my integrity. I didn't lie. But is that actually integrity? I'll tell you, I think what I think is a better, especially for work, a better definition for integrity is not just telling true things or not just doing honest things. I'll tell you what integrity really is. Integrity means if I have integrity at work, you can trust me to treat you exactly how I would want to be treated if I was you. Does that make sense? In fact, I could even go a level further if you come to me at work for something and maybe it's a business deal or I'm selling you something, whatever it is, if I treat you the way I would want one of my kids treated if they were in your shoes, now that's integrity. So what does that mean in practice? I'll tell you what that means in practice. It means that you don't hide things, you don't you tell them everything you would want to know. It's not just you're telling them true things. You're giving them an, a, a proper picture. You're even give, telling them hidden things that you could leave out because if you were them, you would want to know that. Or if your kids were going to enter that deal or buy that house or whatever it is, you would want them to know those things. So you're going to tell the customer that or the business partner that or the investor that. That's integrity. I can trust you to treat me how you would want to be treated if you were me. Does that make sense? Okay. Now let's just say, I know there might be someone out there right now and you have an objection and you're thinking to yourself, Chris, that's easy for you to say here in church when everybody's on their best behavior and we're not under stress and there's no bottom line. Like it's easy to talk about integrity when we don't have the balance sheet here. And because you might think to yourself, and I know some of you will think this, is that, that level of integrity, sure, we should have some integrity, but that level of integrity actually doesn't work in my line of work. That level of going beyond honesty, but actually treating someone the way you would want to be treated if you were them to divulge what would, you would want to divulge or what you would need to know, that sort of kind of integrity to that level doesn't work in my business in my line of work, you must be ruthless. You must take, it's, it's narrow, razor-thin margins. It's highly competitive. And you might say to yourself, 
That level of integrity does not work in my line of work. So two things I want to say to that. First of all, I actually don't believe it. I actually think ultimately God made the universe and that integrity actually works better. But secondly, let's say you're right. Let's say you're right that that level of integrity actually would mean you can't win or be successful in your line of work. If you said that to Jesus, now don't think about complaining to me because you might be thinking, you don't have to answer to me. On judgment day, you're not going to stand in front of Chris. That's not who you're standing in front of. And I don't want you ever to do stuff in your Christian life because Chris told you. Do things because you think Jesus is saying that. I'm hopefully just pointing you towards what Jesus is saying. So maybe you're someone here today and you're thinking to yourself, that level of integrity doesn't work. Don't think about arguing with me. Think about Jesus. I would like to see that conversation where you actually stand before Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe, and you say, actually, in my line of work, I can't be successful with that level of integrity. Now, what do you think Jesus would say to that? Interestingly enough, there's some Bible verses about it. Let's go take a look. Mark chapter 8. Maybe you can't win in your line of business with that level of integrity. Here's what Jesus, here's some interesting things Jesus has to say. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit you to win at work if you can't do it Jesus' way? What does it profit you to win at work if you have to do it at the expense of others? What does it profit you to be successful at work if you can't go home at night and know I have followed the way of Jesus, I have loved my enemies, and I have prayed for those who persecute me, and I have treated them the way I would want to be treated. I have treated them the way I would want my kids treated. What does it profit you to win the whole world and lose your soul? I think one of the greatest stains on the name of Christ today, I don't say this, mad. I say it because we're broken. I think... I can't prove it, but I'm, I think it's got to be right up near the top if it's not the top. I think one of the greatest stains on the name of Christ today is Christians at work. You say, how can you say that? I'll tell you how I can say that. It's not what we do here at church that turns people off of Christianity. They don't care what we do here in church. They don't believe in God. For the most part, they don't care. They don't know. So what you did, you sang at church. So what you dressed up and looked nice. I slept in right? So what? You went there to church and served. I don't care what you did in there. You, that's, your God is a fairy tale. The world doesn't really care what we do in here. The world only cares what we do when we go out there. That's where they experience us. So where does the world experience Christianity? For the most part, they experience it at work with Christians. They don't get to meet Jesus on the street. And when you go to work and take advantage of people and you say, well, that's the bottom line. That's how I'm going to make money. You turn them off of Jesus Christ for eternity. When you go to work and you give a bad effort and you're lazy or you run over people, I'm not saying you can't stand for the truth. I'm not saying if Jesus was your boss, he'd be a pushover. I don't think he'd be a pushover. I think he'd stand for truth. 
But when you cut down an employee or when you cut down your boss or when you cut down someone in a, in a business deal because you're so angry and stressed out, you know what all of that reflects on? Christianity and Jesus. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose somebody else's soul? How we behave at work is one of the most important things we can actually think about. Some of you are saying, I would really like us to move on from this point. So let's do that. (laughs) But it's very closely related. Let's read a fun passage here. Luke chapter 18. It's about the rich young ruler. Let's get Jesus' perspective on work. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to to inherit eternal life? By the way, let's just... How many of us have got our perspective way too small? We're so stressed out about work. We're so stressed out about the bottom line. We're so stressed out about making money. We're so stressed out about being successful. We're so stressed out about a deadline. Sometimes this is why connecting with God's word regularly is so important. And then you read God's word and you read a verse like this and it's like, oh, eternal life. In the grand scheme of things, what matters more? Your, the fact that you might lose a little bit of money this month or eternal life. The fact that you're stressed out right now and you want to yell at some people at work, or eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's establishing who is the boss. I told you a story a few months ago. I have to follow up on it now because I had a very interesting conversation with a woman at a restaurant that I ran into the other day. Um, but a few months ago, I told you the story. Boaz in kindergarten last year, that's my youngest. He's now in grade one. And so he goes to school all day, which is amazing because tomorrow's my day off. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but a number of months ago, so it's kindergarten, Boaz, supper table, says to me, my friend, I won't mention the name, but my friend M, let's say, my friend M today, his dad is a boss. And you could just hear the respect and awe in his voice. <laughs> the young boys, we always want to compare our dads, right? When I was a kid, it was whose dad gives the hardest spankings. But that doesn't happen now, right? So, <laughs> so uh, M's dad is a boss. Well, of course, I felt the pressure from this little five-year-old dad. What are you, okay? And I said, well, you know, kind of technically, there's... People who answer to me at church, like, I, you know, I mean, as a pastor, I don't want to go out there kind of saying I'm a boss, but I'm, I'm kind of a boss. <laughs> Thought no more about the conversation, okay? But obviously, he went back to school and was very impressed because two weeks ago, I'm at a meeting in a restaurant here in town, and I run into the mother of M. <laughs> and uh, I say hi. And remember, this is months ago that this original conversation happened, and she said, Oh, hi, you're Boaz's dad. You're a boss. <laughs> so obviously, these are the conversations that go on at kindergarten. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus is establishing here who is the boss. The rich man says, hey, you're a good teacher, which means I can take your good advice if I like it, and I don't have to if I don't. And Jesus says, don't call me good unless I'm God. Right? And the implication is, if I'm God then you have to do what I say. So this isn't just advice you're asking for. Then you have to do what I say. 
And then he goes on, you know, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Now, two things here. And I know some of you feel, some of you are like me for many years. Every time you read this verse, you feel really guilty because you think God is calling every Christian to give away everything they have. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, I want, let's just ask this. When we look at this, in Jesus' mind, and he's God. He's not just a good teacher. If you think he's God, if you think he's just a good teacher, take or leave his advice because that's all it is, advice. But if like me, and Christians for the last 2,000 years, you believe that Jesus is God, then this is not just advice. This is actually what he demands of us. If the interests of making money collide with obeying Jesus, which one wins if you're a follower of Christ? And the answer is obeying Jesus wins. If the interests of being successful, if the interests of being profitable collide with the interests of Jesus, who said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, be kind, truthful. If this set collides with this set, Jesus says, there's no question, I win if you're going to be a follower of mine. This is why Jesus says next, he says this, Jesus Seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Just think about that for a moment, because by New Testament standards, most of us are wealthy. It says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why? You've got more to lose. It's really hard when you've grown up in a Christian family and your parents genuinely love God, but you've grown up in a system where actually... The interests of Jesus were beneath the interests of money and success, and you've got in that habit, and you don't even see it as wrong. That's hard to give those kinds of ways up. But Jesus says, you want to follow me? I come first. The way you deal with people, why you deal with people, and what you do. Now, just to put something to rest here, the question is, is Jesus asking every single one of us in order to follow him to give up everything we have? And the answer is no. This is a specific command to the rich man. Why? Because this man is being called into vocational ministry. You know what vocational ministry is? That's what I do. I'm paid by the church to do ministry. But 99% of you are not called by God to be paid by the church. You're called to go out and be a minister of Jesus in every sector of life, in sport, in construction, in banking, in service, in everything. So this man was being called to leave all of that to go into full-time ministry. There's lots of people who have stories like that, but they're pastors or missionaries. Pastor Ray is a story like that. In his 20s, his whole dream in life was to be a pilot, and he was a pilot, and he was successful and he was moving up the ranks. He had financial security in his future. He had prestige in his future. And then God came to him and called him and said, no, I want you in ministry. And he left all of that behind 
to go into full-time ministry. Okay? That'd be like the rich young ruler. But most people who are pilots who love Jesus are called to be missionaries as pilots. We wouldn't want every pilot to go and be a pastor. We'd have too many churches, first of all. And second of all, who would be a missionary in the airlines, right? So this is not something you need to feel guilty about every time you read this chapter. I need to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. But what you do need to take from this passage is following Jesus trumps making money or being successful. And that's why the third thing here about turning your worship into work is it's not sinful to make money, but when the interests of making money or being successful collide, the fact of the matter is, some of you were made by God and called by God to make money. Did you know that? There are people here in this church, I know people in this church who are really good at making money. Okay? It's actually a gift from God. And everything they do just makes money. How many of you wish you had that calling? <laughs> but there's people in this church, they just make money. And I have told some of these people real conversations. I've told them, don't waste your time doing all kinds of stuff inside this church building. You were gifted to make money. Go and make money for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Did you know that making a million dollars can be an act of worship? If God made you to be successful that way, be successful for the glory of Jesus Christ. But if in order to make that million dollars, you've got to run over people or take advantage of people or abuse people verbally or go back on a, on a deal you made or lose your integrity or treat someone the way you wouldn't want to be treated, then making a million dollars is not worship. But if you do it with generosity and joy and you bend over backwards to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and treat all people like they're made in the image of God, with integrity to the core of your being, then making a million dollars can be an act of worship to Jesus. And that brings me to this last point. And next week we'll look at three other short ones and then we'll start to tie this thing out. But three shorter ones next week. But there's a fourth quality for worship. By the way, when you go and make money in that way, never you think that you go home at the end of a day of being successful like that. I just did an act of worship for Jesus. How can I be generous for you, Lord? How can, I, how can I bless people and the community and your kingdom? Now, there's one last thing I want to look at. Best effort, integrity, put Jesus first. And then there's a fourth thing, know when to stop. Know when to stop. Some of you maybe have the first three. You love working hard. You've got all kinds of integrity. You love putting Jesus first in your business. But there's one thing yet you lack. Jesus didn't just make you to work. Genesis chapter 2 says this, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. What did God do? He rested. He stopped which means, and you were made in his image, which means you actually were made to stop. And if you don't know how to stop, you cease to be fully human the way he made you to be. Verse 3, so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You were not meant 
to work all the time. Work is good. Work is supposed to be worship, and we should work hard, but you were not meant to work all the time. If God had wanted you to work all the time, he would have made you an ant or a honeybee. But he didn't do that. He made you a human being. I learned some very fascinating things about ants this week. Did you know that ants, a worker ants, first of all, most ants, when you see ants crawling around on the ground, any ant you see is, it's a girl, okay, for the most part. The, the males live very short, sad little lives. They fulfill one function in life. We don't need to talk about that. And then they're gone. Okay? Gone. Okay? Then you have a queen. And all she does is lay eggs and lie in the royal chamber and sleep. Literally, researchers. There, there is money going into this in the world, people. Um, we won't get into that rapid trail. But anyway who watch ants. In fact, one of the things I learned this week is that queen ants have been observed to sleep. I mean, to dream when they sleep. Okay, their little antenna, they can reach REM sleep in the deep sleep mode and their little antennas start to move while they're sleeping. That suggests to researchers that they are dreaming, which brings up all sorts of other questions that we can't answer this side of heaven, right? But anyway, you got a queen and then you have these worker ants and these worker ants do only one thing they work. And they get so exhausted that multiple times throughout the day, they will literally doze off in the middle of working. And, and research, they, they've timed it. In most species, it's about 60 seconds at a time, on average. They'll literally be in a task, and they will just doze off. And after 60 seconds, they just, and they keep going. And they do that 24-7. And that is why the average lifespan of a worker ant in most species is just a few months long. They just burn right out. Meanwhile, the queens live six years, in some species, up to 40 years long, okay? But you weren't made to be an ant, thank God. You're made to be a human being. You were not made to work, 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 work. You were not made to do ministry, do ministry, do ministry, do ministry, do ministry. You were made to work, and then you were made to stop and enjoy. You were made to work, and then you were made to stop and enjoy. And the fact of the matter is that you have more roles in your life than just the role of worker. You are a son or daughter of parents somewhere. Maybe they've passed away. You are a sibling, many of you. You are a friend. You have that role in people's lives. Everybody here has a role in someone's life as friend. Some of you are married. You have a role of husband or wife. Some of you have children. You have the role of father or mother. There are many roles that are encompassed in you as a human being. And if you take the worker role to an extreme where you start to cancel out or some of these other roles begin to suffer, then you are ceasing to be fully human the way God made you to be, and your work ceases to be an act of worship to God. I'm going to finish this story. There was a, a man here in our church, been here for many years. I heard an amazing testimony last week. I won't give tons of details. I'll leave it a little bit vague. But uh, as a teenager, he went through a tragedy. And as a result of that, he had this dream that in his life, he would like to be in, in an industry where he could work with families that are grieving, who have lost loved ones. And that's as a teenager. He already had the desire. That was his dream job. 
So he got older, he got married, they had kids, and he actually managed. He got, a, he got his foot in the door, and he got a job in this industry that he had always wanted to do. And he was successful in it, and it was providing for him and his family, and he was doing well. But after some time in this job, the job really began to consume him, and he realized that his kids were suffering, and he could not be the father role he could not fulfill that role in this job the way he needed to, to fill it. And so he made a hard decision, and I just heard this testimony last week. It was really powerful. He actually made a decision for the good of his family as a dad. He actually quit his job, his dream job, took a different job, because as a dad, you've got to provide for your family. He took a different job and worked that job for a number of years as his kids were growing up. Now, the cool ending to this story is now, as his boys have grown up more, he has been able to re-enter, and he's back doing, he just started now in, in, in a job that he really loves. But I thought to myself, that right there, that act of wrestling and putting people and Jesus first, that was an act of worship that should inspire all of us. Amen? So I'm going to get you all to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want us all just to take a moment now to this message. What is one small thing? I don't think God's asking anyone in here to do something crazy and radical. I think God is gentle and merciful, and I think he loves to give us one little step. What is one little step Jesus might be asking you to take to turn your work into worship this week? One little, not something crazy that you're not actually going to do. But maybe every day you need to have a little reminder to yourself this week when you're coming home from work or when you're going to work. I want to worship you with my work day today. Maybe God wants to give you an idea in terms of your effort. What's one specific thing you could do this week to give a better effort in your workplace? Maybe there's a small step in terms of your integrity. Or maybe God's saying to you, you need to know when to stop Maybe it's time to set a time of the day with your wife or something when you're going to be home by every day. Or maybe you don't have a job where you can get home every day. You're like a trucker or something, but maybe you need to look at the calendar and sit down with your wife and figure out how many days am I going to be home. Worship team is going to lead us in a little bit of worship now, but I want you just to reflect quietly as you sit there. And let the Lord Jesus speak to you and encourage you and love you about turning your work into worship this week.